When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Mets, the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. The Mets won the game against the Brewers. It was an exciting one. It was sort of a weird one. More importantly for 2022, because now this is the biggest thing we care about. They won the series. But Tim, they uh, they did it with, in a game with, which saw Tyler McKeel walk off the field in some obvious discomfort that's a little concerning yeah you know it, it was it was a nice come from behind win for the Mets you know it, it felt like they hadn't had one of those in a little while you forget just how often they did that early in the season uh but you lose McGill and then there's the kind of the uncertainty around Eduardo Escobar who uh has a non-workplace uh, uh, event is I think how Buck Showalter put it um but uh, a medical issue that they, they were not disclosing seems like it was not a baseball medical issue uh, so hopefully we find out more on that uh, on Friday today, uh, and hopefully it's not something that that uh, is is serious or leads to a you know. It, 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 when you hear that, you 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 don't think as much about the baseball context of it right away, um, and you hope that everything is fine with Escobar. Uh, and then beyond that, you hope that that he's not going to miss uh, any a significant amount of time for the Mets. So it was kind of just a, a weird mood overall for the team. Uh, on on Thursday, surrounding what was uh, a very nice win and a nice series win for them uh, to to actually pick up a, a half game on the idle Braves for the first time in two weeks. Yeah, if you are listening to the recorded version of this podcast, we are speaking on Friday morning, late Friday morning. Tim is not yet at City Field, uh, so, uh, presumably we will find out more uh, about Escobar's situation. Like Tim said, hopefully he's okay. Uh, and and more about McGill, who seems like he's slated to get an MRI today at some point. Yeah, it was right shoulder discomfort. Uh, you you don't like shoulder discomfort. Um, for, you don't like shoulder it, discomfort, and you you never like to see it like a pitcher throw a pitch, wince, and and call for the trainer. Yeah, so the, those were not uh, encouraging signs uh, on Thursday night. You know the the Mets. They're getting some some pitching back. Max Scherzer is slated for a rehab start on Tuesday, so long as no no soreness props up from his uh, no short no soreness crops up from his simulated game on Thursday. Uh, so you know Scherzer could be back as soon as the end of next week if he only needs one rehab start. I think that would be his preference. Uh, it would not be a surprise if the Mets decided to be a little bit more cautious with him uh, and give him one more rehab start, uh, and then he comes back the you know, the following week. So basically, uh, just about two weeks from now. Um, so, you know, you're, you're getting some of that rotation back, but David Peterson is going to go on uh, paternity leave shortly uh, as his wife is due to give birth. They've actually got a couple guys, uh, three guys, uh, with Seth Lugo and Jeff McNeil also in that, that spot uh, in the next couple of weeks. 
Um, but, you know, the losing, having McGill back last week was such a nice lift for them. Even though, you know, you look at his ERA overall, it, it doesn't seem to tell the story because he had that one uh, hideous start right before he hit the, the IL the first time. I think it was an inning and two-thirds and eight runs. It really throws the entire ERA out of whack. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been really good for them. They're 7-2 and two when he starts. Uh, so uh, they, they've, they've really benefited from having him in the rotation. So if he were to miss time, um, you know, it, it puts uh, a sharper spotlight on Peterson, uh, who, you know, they're six and one when he starts. Uh, they've done well when he starts. He has generally pitched pretty well and kept them in games, uh, but, you know, had probably his um, sloppiest outing of the season on Wednesday, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily him who, who lost in the game there in the fifth inning. Jake, Jake Reed came in and gave up the five runs uh, in two thirds of an inning. Uh, but Peterson did not look sharp at any point in that game. Uh, so it, it you know, if McGill is out, they need more from, from Peterson. And Trevor Williams, who has pitched well for them, uh, has done well when he started. Uh, and and the, the same kind of mold. Like, we'll give you five innings and keep you in the game uh, for a team whose offense is reasonably good. Uh, and, you know, the, the hope was that the starting rotation would start rounding into more of a, a full-on strength. But, you know, they're still treading water a little bit in the back end of it. Uh, there, you mentioned a bunch of different things that I wanted to talk about, uh, namely like McGill. Yeah, like you said, the, the ERA doesn't really do him justice at all. And I think in the first three innings of the game Thursday night, it was a reminder of how good McGill looked at the, at the beginning of the season because he he looked sharp. He looked he looked great. Uh, and so I think it makes it, it almost extra frustrating to see him go down in the fourth um, after sort of like that getting your hopes up like, oh, right, this this, this guy's back in the rotation. Um, but it, now it, it seems a little bit concerning. Uh, a totally separate point, and if you have a question for us, please do join us on stage. Uh, hit the, the necessary button to re- request to join us, and we will let you up to ask some questions. If you've got questions and, and can't speak, you can drop them in the chat. We will probably get to those as well. Uh, just a funny side point. Uh, is paternity. Remember when oh, you were probably in, in Boston still? Daniel Murphy took uh, yes. missed missed opening day uh, because he was on the on paternity leave he only you know he i think he maybe wound up missing just that game or two games and as recently i want to say this was like 2013 um it's it's funny to me when we think about like the world going backwards in a bunch of different ways that we have at least made progress on this that it is no longer controversial when a guy is like yeah i need to take three days away from my 162 game season to attend the birth of my child <laughs> It is, uh, you know, and, and three days, like, look, uh, I have personal experience, recent personal experience with this taking five weeks off, and I could not imagine going back in three days. And I was, uh, I was very right. heartened by the fact that when I put on Twitter that I was, I was leaving for uh, a little while, uh, and then when I came back, like, there were, I, I, I did not see a single comment that questioned why I needed to take that long. Um, and so that was, that was really encouraging to me that, that p- people were understanding and, and, you know, that it is good to want to be there with your child uh, and be there at the birth of your child and, and in the first couple of days. Uh, and, you know, I, I think players should be allowed to take more if they wanted to. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works if they wanted to take more, um, but uh, they get the, the three days on, on paternity leave through the roster rules uh, and so we'll see uh, a couple different Mets, you know, the couple different Mets take advantage of that uh, over the next couple of weeks and, and uh, you know, see how they endure the, the brief absences uh, from the lineup the way they did with Murphy so many years ago. Uh, Murphy wound up becoming like an, an unlikely parental rights <laughs> advocate after that, too. Like, I believe he went to the White House to like as like representative of like manly baseball <laughs> man who was still 
you know, like uh, caring enough about his family. And again, it's like, it all seems, it's crazy that it seems ridiculous. It was only, it was less than a decade ago. Uh, and, and that now it's like, of course, of course, well, why, of course he should have taken it. Like no one, no one was putting, I mean, for, for example, Josh Hader was not at this series uh, for the Mets and the Brewers. And, you know, you might argue the Brewers would have gone about using their bullpen differently in Thursday night's game with Hader available. Um, right. Cause Hader wasn't available last night. Right. Um, and so, you know, so, so if you wanted to make that talk radio point, if like Milwaukee had its knives out for Josh Hader, you could say like, ah, oh, they might have won that game if Hader was around. But no one's going to make that point because it's absurd to suggest that Josh Hader can't can't miss a weekend or three days because he's he's having a kid. Uh, the last point that you brought up. Oh, wait, we have people. OK, we don't I, we don't have to go back to my last point because Yanni is waiting patiently to join us on stage. Yanni, welcome back. Thank you, Ted. Uh, Tim, it's great to see. I, I missed the last last few weeks. Um, it's good to have you back, Tim. Good to hear your voice. Um, I wanted to ask this question um, a few weeks ago, and it's 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 an interesting question now in in retrospect because um, Tyler McGill did come back, and now of course he's injured again. Uh, but you know, I, I was looking looking ahead um, to when Tyler was going to come back, and I, I wanted to ask about Trevor Williams and has he done enough to push himself up from what was originally like eighth in the, the start of the year rotation depth. And, uh, you know, I say it's a two part question um, because I, I want to talk a little bit about like expected stats. And, and I know that, that these are like peripherals and I know that what I know from fan graphs and what I can look up is just, you know, barely scratching the tip of the iceberg compared to what, you know, the teams are able to look at, but, you know, Trevor Williams has really um, impressed me with uh, his ability to step in and get the job done. And his peripherals are really backing that up. And his expected stats are, are second on the Mets. Uh, if you slice and dice it in certain ways, he's the second best pitcher on the Mets behind Max Scherzer in terms of um, expected stats. Now, of course, he's only thrown about 35 innings this year. Um, but I, you know, I, I wanted to ask if he had done enough to sort of push himself above David Peterson and the pecking order. And of course, um, Peterson's the one who got the, the starts and Williams went back to the bullpen. I know um, injuries are fickle things and Trevor Williams, I'm, I'm really glad that we have him on our team because it looks like he's playing a really pivotal role. And we have somebody who's as good as him in the you know eighth spot of the depth chart. Um, so that, that was kind of like my, my first part of the question. Um, and, and the second part, you know, Tim, when you wrote about um, in, a, in an article a few weeks ago about percentage of one, two, three innings and percentage of shutdown innings, I, I found that really fascinating um, and something that I'd never thought about before. Like you said, you can't readily find that online. Um, <clears throat> Trevor Williams is also really good at one, two, three innings. Taiwan Walker is a guy who had really great stats there for one, two, three innings, shutdown innings. He's more of a contact split ball pitcher, so his expected stats are going to be a little worse because he's taking the ball out of his hands without throwing strikeouts. When you have a guy like Taiwan Walker on the mound and he's um, you know, pitching to contact, how, how big of a leash does a manager put on him if his splitter like isn't there? And are we saying... You know, they're going to put the ball in play a lot. They might hit him hard. Um, so that was my sort of two-part question. Thanks. Thanks for the time, guys. 
Oh, thank you, Yanni. Thanks for the coming back and, and thanks for like, liking to hear my voice. Wow. Um, so uh, we'll start with Williams. I mean, I think, I think that was kind of like, it was a small off-season roster move that the, the Mets didn't make in the past. You know, like they could have non-tendered Trevor Williams. I think he was due something in the 3 to $4 million range. Uh, he wasn't going to be, you know, the, the plan was, was not for Trevor Williams to be part of the opening day rotation at any point. And while he has one option left, uh, you know, he, he has more than five years of service time, which means like if the Mets decide at the end of spring training, you know, we're going to option him and stretch him out in Syracuse, he could say, peace out. You're still paying me the money. You're still paying me three and a half million dollars and I'm a free agent now. Uh, so, you know, when they decided to tender him a contract, it was essentially we're going to carry you on the roster all year as a long reliever slash spot starter. Uh, but we think it's worthwhile to do that. Um, we, we think that's a, a good use of three. And, I, I don't know his exact salary, three and a half million dollars or so. Um, and, you know, I think Williams has certainly rewarded that confidence. Uh, he's been a really important piece for them. You know, it's I, I think <laughs> long men uh, in Mets history can get lionized at times. I remember loving uh, Pat Mahomes and Corey Lytle as a kid when they had good long man years. Like they come in and a six, not, six to one game and give you three shutout innings and always think. <laughs> Terry Leach, Terry Leach. For those of us um, who go back a little further, but it, yeah. that is a really important role to save the bullpen, as, as Williams did on Wednesday. Like uh, we saw with the Mets bullpen in previous years, uh, in eighteen and nineteen, like they did not have that guy, uh, and so uh, you'd have the guy come in and and a four to one. You know, basically what happened to Jake Reed on on Wednesday was what happened to the Mets bullpen consistently in eighteen and nineteen, uh, where, where a, a small. Uh, deficit would become a large one quite quickly, and then they would have to expend uh, further bullpen resources later in the game because guys you couldn't ex- guys couldn't eat innings for you. Uh, in terms of Williams versus Peterson, uh, I can I can imagine Williams sur- surpassing him. I like you know I don't know when Peterson is going to go on leave in the next next week or so. I know it was like close enough that the Mets were making roster moves in case uh, he couldn't make his start on on Wednesday night. Uh, because of that, so it, I assume it's it's going to be in the next couple of days or the next week or so, um, and, and maybe Williams slots into that spot in rotation now. Uh, and if he pitches really well, you keep him there as long as he does. Uh, like you said, you know his peripheral stats are good. M- McGill's peripheral stats are, are actually I think the worst of that group. Uh, the last time I checked, uh, although again it's it's hard to, to gauge him because so much of that seems to be swung by just the last couple of starts when he hasn't been been fully healthy. So uh, I, I think, um, you know, Williams has been a really important it's, to have a major league starter, major league capable starter, a guy who, you know, had one really, really good year in Pittsburgh, but otherwise has been, you know, a below average league starter, which is, is not a terrible thing. It's, it, so many times you get guys who have a five ERA and fans will say, well, you know, how can we be worse here? You can always be worse. <laughs> um, and Williams has, has clearly pitched much better than that this year. Uh, that's been a really valuable part of the team. Um, on Walker, uh, you know, I, I think it's the same, the same with any pitcher you're, you're kind of looking at, uh, like how this stuff is playing in addition to the actual results on the field when you're deciding whether to keep a guy in a game. You know, Walker's splitter has been such a big pitch for him this year. Uh, it's, I, I go back to the, the start he made against LA when it was him and Gonsolin, uh, and it was just like splitter after splitter from both, <laughs> from both sides. Uh, and that's a pitch that, that hadn't that kind of gone out of fashion. Uh, for a little while, and it's coming back in vogue a bit. Uh, and you can see how effective it can be. Uh, you know, that's a, a relatively new pitch for Taiwan, uh, and it's become really his best pitch. Uh, and so uh, when, when he's got that working, uh, he's a different kind of pitcher uh, than otherwise because he gets more swing and miss on that pitch. 
but he, he's been, you know, I, I think we've seen the first half version of him again so far this year. And I think you've got a little bit more faith that he can sustain it this year just because he's got more of an innings foundation than he did last season. You know, uh, Williams uh, was was something I wanted to talk about off the open when when I when I cut myself off for Yanni. So I'm happy we went that direction um, because I was looking. It was actually based off our conversation about Nolan Ryan. I wound up on like a very deep dive into pitching rotations and like when it became a four man rotation. I learned many things, um, and and one thing I was moved to think about. Um, came from like a really old, like a maybe late '90s Rob Nyer article that I that was just talking about the history of pitching rotations, uh, and he brought up like and something that seems like fairly obvious um, now, um, but the idea of the what he called the modified four man rotation, which is you just have you have four starters that that always work on four nights rest. And only on times when you would need someone in your four-man rotation on three games rest, do you then go to your fifth guy. Um, and I think part of the probably the reason teams haven't done that so so often, and we've seen teams like sort of be a little bit of flexible. I think more flexible now than they were maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, but it strikes me that like it it probably isn't an easy sell on a guy to to pitch in the Trevor Williams role. Like hey like. You're, you're never really going to know what you're doing any given week. We might need you to start. We might need you to throw uh, one inning out of the bullpen. We might need you to throw four innings out of the bullpen. But if you have that guy who can succeed in that role, like I wonder if there's an argument, especially once if Scherzer's back um, and they have, you know, four of these sort of like, you know, like the guys we're, we're holding up as the, as the stalwart starters, if they have four of them going, um, and you look over the schedule, like you would, you know, a guy like Bassett is going to make 20 more starts this year. But if you held to a to a strict schedule where everybody got four nights rest, uh, you'd only need that fifth starter, I think, like 10 or 11 times. So could it, could they work out something like that? I mean, I think it, that's something they can contemplate at least over the next couple of weeks because of the way the schedule breaks. They've got, uh, you know. The, the off day, I think, next Thursday, and then the following week they've got off days on Monday and Thursday around yeah. uh, with the Astros. So, uh, like, they've got off days in there where they can manipulate that fifth starter position. And we've seen it with Williams where, he, you know, he's been a part of the major league roster the entire season but has bounced between relief and, and the bullpen. He's gone back and forth. You know, they, they gave Thomas Zipaki the start over Williams in San Francisco. That did not go well. They brought Williams right back in the rotation. You know, I, t- I talked to him in spring training about doing that role and kind of adjusting to it on the fly last season uh, because that, that was, you know, he'd come up uh, his first couple, first year in the major leagues and maybe thrown out of the, the, the bullpen a little bit, but had otherwise been a starter straight through. Uh, and he said, you know, it's kind of weird when you go into a game and you're like, I'm going to pitch in the first inning or the ninth inning and nothing in between because that's what happens when you're the lowest leverage reliever uh, in, in a bullpen. Uh, but it seems like he's really taken to it. Uh, and like you said, it's, a, it's just a valuable piece to have someone who's who's capable of doing that and pitching well uh, when he does that. You know, with, with Scherzer back, you, you'd have Scherzer, Carrasco, Walker, Bassett, and then you can make Williams that fifth guy uh, to, to slot in, you know, maybe twice in the next three weeks or so. Uh, I'd have to do the math on it. Uh, it's but, not a ton. You can probably get close to the all-star break doing something like that where he has to make maybe three starts or so. 
Right. Uh, they're, it's weird. They're, they're all season long, really. They're, they're off days. Their schedule off days sort of come in bunches. So they have these stretches of like, you know, 16 games in 16 nights and then, you know, four games in seven nights or something like that. So uh, it's, it's not ideal for my plan. But uh, it's a it's a plan I like nonetheless, and thank you for indulging it, Tim. Dean C is waiting to ask us a question. Dean, what's up, guys? How you doing? How are you, Dean? Pretty good, pretty good. So you know, I decided I'm going to come in here and ask uh, ask the juicy questions. You know, uh, <laughs> specifically about we last week I was on here, and I think that you uh, spoke about how uh, John Heyman knows like more than like not more, but he knows things before you guys, and you mentioned. Uh, Something about Alvarez, but obviously he, he came out and said that the Mets might have slightly changed their stance on him coming up in the near future. And I know that that's very unlikely, but what are the chances we see him get bumped up to AAA at some point? So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, AAA, I think we could see probably around the All-Star break in the Futures game. That's generally when teams look to make that move. We saw that last year. I think it was Brett Beatty who went up right around that time uh, from 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 high A to double A. I mean, I, I think if I, if I remember, uh, I want to get the wording right. I, I believe Heyman said that like the Mets have not ruled out calling up Francisco Alvarez to which I'd say like, of course not. Like, why would you rule anything out? Like, you know, the same, the same token, like Steve Cohen is not ruling out anything at the trade deadline. I mean, I think he's probably ruled out selling at the trade deadline. He's probably ruled out trading Jacob deGrom at the trade deadline, but like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's news when a team has not ruled something out. Um, and the Mets shouldn't rule out calling up Francisco Alvarez. I don't think it would be to be their catcher. Um, I think that would be asking an awful lot of a 20-year-old. As I've written, you know, going back to spring training, like the only 20-year-old who's uh, – the only 20-year-old catcher who's played more than like nine or ten games uh, as a 20-year-old in the major leagues, the last one, uh, was Ivan Rodriguez, who is now 50 years old. Uh, so it was 30 years ago. You know, you've had guys like Joe Maurer get like a cup of coffee at 20 and play like eight or nine games. Uh, but to count on uh, that guy to be your catcher in a pennant race is probably a bit too much. But, you know, the Mets have a designated hitter now. Alvarez's bat is enough to play him there at some point. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I think like I wrote about J.D. Davis this morning. Uh, and one of the, the things that's interesting about Davis is like, you know, he's the guy you're basically evaluating to decide how much else you need to do for this lineup. Because if Davis is, is productive the way he's been the last, you know, three, four weeks, uh, then you feel a little bit better about the depth of your lineup. And you don't feel like you need to go out and add someone big at the trade deadline. Uh, if he struggles the way he did the first six weeks, uh, then, you know, you, you think more about uh, other solutions, whether they are internal, like Mark Vientos or Francisco Alvarez, or external uh, outside the organization at the trade deadline. So I, I don't know that the Mets have changed their stance necessarily. I mean, I think a guy going out and, and raking the way that Alvarez has at double A uh, helps. Like, you know, he's he's performed really well at Binghamton, uh, the way he performed really well uh, at levels last year, probably even better at Binghamton. I haven't looked at like what the OPS plus or, or WRC plus is compared to the rest of the league in double A this year, uh, as opposed to last year when he was in, in Brooklyn. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's, Coming into the season, he was kind of an intriguing late-season option if you needed a DH, and I think he's still in that spot. I think Vientos is probably ahead of him in that hierarchy at the moment, the way that he's been swinging the bat lately in Syracuse. Uh, but I, I think, you know, again, there's no reason to rule any of those things out at this point. Yeah, I would say on the promotion thing, and, and you know this, but, like, with a catcher, I think it's it's extra complicated because, especially the catcher who we know, like, the primary focus 
is uh, polishing his defensive game. I think, the, you know, all the scouting reports say he is a catcher. He will stick as a catcher. He will be a good catcher. But uh, that's obviously why he's, he's not here yet. Um, and so you wonder, you know, how much uh, consistency in coaching and especially consistency in pitching staff um, or in like, I don't, I don't know if a catcher is better off working with the same pitchers all year, getting to know them, getting to know how their balls move and how he can respond to them. Or if he's better off seeing a whole new crop of pitchers at AAA, uh, especially, you know, older players who might have, you know, more feel pitchers, guys who aren't necessarily blowing people away, like guys who are, uh, we, we see them, the, you know, the, these fringe AAA guys who are up and down who sort of just know how to pitch. Like maybe that's an advantage for, for a young catcher, but that's sort of, um, it's a more complicated question and a more complicated development, I think, than a guy like Vientos who, you know, you sort of know what he can do defensively uh, and you know he can hit. And if you just need a bat, that's, that's your bat. We've got just a couple minutes left here because uh, I have to run at noon. Um, so I'm just going to run through the chat quickly. Uh, Yanni pointing out Trevor Williams did win 14 games for a not great Pittsburgh team in 2018. Uh, when I was voting for the Cy Young that year, Trevor Williams made like my final 25, 20 or 25 pitchers that I was looking at uh, for his consistent ability to go like six innings in one run that season. Um, Howard asking the possibility of seeing Jose Buto in the rotation if McGill is injured again. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if he's next in line to come up. You, you still got Peterson and Williams to, to fill in there with Scherzer coming back as well. Uh, Buto, you know, I, I don't know that he's passed Zapucky yet. I think they probably got other options before they go with him. Oh, he has pitched well in the minor leagues this year. He's on the 40, which helps. But I, I think he's probably more of a 2023 depth option uh, than one. He's they a little wild this still. Year. He's a little yeah. wild. Uh, Michael L. asking about... Uh, how much did the Mets give up for a bullpen arm when they have some some intriguing guys in AAA like uh, Michelle Otanez and, and Bryce Montez de Oca, both guys who hit triple digits um, and, and have been wild in the past but have, have reined it in a bit this year. You know, I it's tough to count on. We've, look, we've seen relievers come up from the minor leagues and be dominant at the major league level into the postseason. Everyone remembers Francisco Rodriguez with Anaheim. Uh, Camilo Duvall last year with the Giants uh, did that. Uh, became their closer into the, into the postseason. It's not something you want to count on necessarily. Like I, you know, having those guys helps you maybe think you don't need to go out and trade uh, a huge amount for David Bednar of Pittsburgh or something like that. Uh, it makes you maybe feel better about the long-term health of your bullpen because, as we've talked about, they've got basically every high-leverage arm they have is a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think you know if if you want to trade for. David Robertson or, or someone like that, uh, you know, in a walk year, kind of the, the quality of reliever that I think they'll be looking at. I don't know that having those guys necessarily changes your willingness to do that. Uh, what might change in the pitching lineup when McGill, Scherzer, and DeGrom return? Uh, I would change that to if <laughs> rather than yeah. when. Um, uh, don't worry about that when that happens, huh? And yeah, like, you know, uh, what happens when they get Matt, Herbie, DeGrom, Syndergaard, yeah. Wheeler, all at what the a, same What time. about, where, where will Joey Lucchese fit in? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I should ask where Joey Lucchese is uh, and how he's progressing. I've, I've been meaning to do that. Thank you for the reminder. Um, no so uh, I think, look, if, if they have everyone healthy uh, in their starting rotation, uh, I think McGill would probably be the odd man out. I think they'd probably look to get him starts here and there as a sixth starter. Uh, to really throw it in, in Ted's face that they don't want his his uh, four four man rotation idea, uh, and that's to give guys, uh, you know, like Walker, Carrasco, uh, you know, even Bassett hasn't thrown a ton of innings uh, over the course of his career. 
uh, and, and certainly DeGrom coming off what he's coming off of, uh, to keep guys as fresh as possible for October. Uh, again, where they are in the standings probably uh, helps with that. Uh, but uh, I, I would think McGill would be the guy that they would bump uh, before anyone else who, who was in the opening day rotation. Uh, and David, how nervous is everyone about the Braves and their 14-game winning streak? Uh, that's a question for fans more, more than for me. The Braves, look, we know that we know Atlanta's a good team. Uh, everyone knew that coming into the season. Uh, they are definitely taking uh, full advantage of a weak part of their schedule. Uh, they get the Cubs this weekend, who are playing terribly, as the Yankees found out last weekend. Uh, so uh, the it shows you, I mean, there are so many bad teams uh, in baseball right now. Uh, there's three of them in the NL Central. You know, the Rockies are not particularly good in the NL West, even though they played well for, for the first month of the season. Uh, the Nationals are terrible. The Marlins, the Mets get this weekend. I'm interested in seeing them for the first time this year. But when you have those teams on your schedule, and the Mets have done this too. The Mets have, uh, I don't know their exact record against the Nationals, if it's 7-2 and two or 6-3. and three. They've done well against against Washington, 9-3 and three against Philly. Uh, they they They've taken advantage of the bad teams uh, as much, you know, to to an extent this year. Uh, and, you know, it, it's going to be a tight race in the NL East. I, no one, I didn't expect the Mets to run away with it. I didn't expect them to have a 10 and a half game lead on June 1st. But uh, it's just kind of uh, things balancing out uh, with the way Atlanta's playing right now. Yeah, I'll say uh, just, the, you know, we talked about a lot about this stretch of the Mets schedule and how hard it would be. They've still got four games with the Astros coming up. Those won't be easy. None of it's easy. Uh, but after, you know, after series, two series with the Astros, two series with the Marlins, they get Rangers, then Reds, then Marlins again. And then uh, July 11th through 13th is what I wanted to highlight. Circle on your calendar. Mets at Braves, uh, you know, with just a few days away from the All-Star break. Sort of a nice tone setting series, I think, for the second half. Yeah, and that, that will be, you know, it seems so much of Philadelphia and Washington uh, it's weird that they haven't played Miami yet. This is the deepest into a season they've gone without playing the Marlins uh, in their history. Um, and, and they've only played the one series against Atlanta. So, you know, that will be – we used litmus test and measuring stick a lot when they went to L.A. to play the Dodgers. We can run it back uh, in another month when they play the Braves in Atlanta. And we will certainly be around to talk about it, Tim. Uh, until next time, peace out. Adios. Adios.